1: We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and go ahead and open your Bibles to that or bring it up on your device. And we're going to begin with verse 22, and we're going to make a run for verse 33. And if you've been uh, following along with us, you'll remember that in this portion of the letter, Paul is responding to false apostles' criticism of him. In fact, he's begun to address these accusations, and in this chapter... He is responding to their comparisons because they had compared Paul to themselves in order to give themselves authority, in order to give themselves credibility before the people. In fact, they had even said they were better than Paul, and Paul refers to them as super apostles. I don't know if that meant they had a big red S on the back of their toga or what, but anyway... These guys had really done a job on convincing the Corinthians that they were something special. And so Paul is now going to enter into some comparison. Now, Paul hates that. Paul detests boasting. And is with good reason. We don't boast in the flesh if we're children of God. Why? Because we are not flesh. That's not who we are. Well... Paul calls this boasting foolishness. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, For who regards you as superior, or what sets you apart as special? What do you have that you did not receive from another? And if, in fact, you received it from God or somewhere else, why do you boast as if you had not received it but gained it by yourself? What do you have that you weren't given? How do you find room to boast? And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, he makes it very clear. He says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends and praises himself, who is approved by God, but it is the one whom the Lord commends and praises. You want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he is only going to say that about the works of Christ in you. It'll never be about your flesh. Boasting in the mind of Paul made no sense. It was sheer foolishness because he saw all of humanity in the light of who God is. Colossians chapter 1 verse 17, speaking of Christ says, And he himself, Christ, existed and is before all things. And in him, Christ, all things hold together. He is the... The controlling, cohesive force of the universe. So how can we boast if we can't even hold ourselves together? Where is there room for boasting? What utter foolishness and arrogance it is to stand before man and God and boast in our labors, in our sufferings, in our strength. Where is the humility of Christ? The humility of Christ that denied his rightful glory, majesty, and supremacy above every created thing as God and creator. The very word of God who humbled himself to a weakness that the strength of godless flesh would be allowed to subdue and inflict every cruelty and wickedness of humanity upon him. Where is that humility? We are the children of God. And we have been born from the crucible of Christ's humility. Born into resurrection life as new creation. Clothed in weakness and filled with the strength of his life as our life. What do we think we are born to in this life? If it is not to display his strength in our weakness. We are born to be fragile clay pots made for common use. That contain the glory of resurrected life. A life that will be revealed and is revealed through our weakness, through the cracks, the chips, and the crushing of this flesh. That's what you were born to, child of God. What a foolish thing pride is that reveals itself as boasting. It must smell of the putridity and death of the flesh in the nostrils of God. Paul was concerned about the effect of these apostles, these false apostles, the effect that they were having in the newly repentant Corinthians who had showed themselves to be very vulnerable because they were indulgent of these guys. They were indulgent of their lies. And principally because they had embraced worldly indulgence as spiritual liberty, which is going on quite a bit these days, and forsaken walking as people of the Spirit, and taken to walking as people of religious flesh, which is also going on today. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 2 and 3, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, speaking of the Corinthians, because I have promised you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that even as the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning Your minds have been corrupted and led away from the simplicity of your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul was trying to protect these Corinthians from being drawn away from the simplicity of pure devotion. And isn't that always the work of the enemy? To draw us away from this simplicity because being a sheep is simple. Being a shepherd is something we were never created to be, nor could we even imitate. As we try, the anxiety and the stress of what we pretend to take on for ourselves as co-shepherds absolutely undoes us and reveals the weakness, reveals the truth that we are but sheep. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. You see, Paul's concern that they were being lured away from the simplicity of their devotion to Christ. Listen, our relationship with him is simple. He is life to us. And he's not life to us with a bunch of provisos, with a bunch of conditions. He is life to us even now. No matter if you're walking in rebellion or you're walking in truth, he is your life. He is holding you together. It is simply him that keeps you alive. It is simply Him that has made you fit for eternity. It is simply Him that has removed all obstacles between you and the very throne of God. It is simply Him that has suited you to embrace and receive the love of God. It is simply Him that is shaping you and molding you and growing you and maturing you and holding you in the place of God's precious favor. It is simply Him. Him, Satan, would draw you away to some form of complexity that has to do with your religion, with your ability to keep rules and regulations, with your ability to look pious and your ability to follow laws and your ability not to sin. How's that working for you? It's not what you were called to. You say, I have no idea how you're going to get to where you're supposed to be. Paul was trying to protect them. We were created for pure and simple devotion, which is a humble existence. Let's look at our text, but as we start, I want you to understand what Paul is boasting in, okay? He begins by comparing his flesh with the flesh of those false apostles, because that is what they're using for a basis of comparison. And in these things, he proves that he could boast also in the flesh, but to what end? Every false teacher or preacher will have their credentials in the flesh. And some of these may actually be legitimate. But are they identity? That's where the deception comes in. Do they lead you to a simplicity of pure devotion? Or are they making it complex for you? If they are making it complex, then you are not hearing from the Spirit of God. You're hearing from man, and you would do well to avoid it. Let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 22. Paul's entering into this comparison, and he asks some questions, because in all honesty, it's very clear. He's asking these questions because these are the boasts of the false apostles. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? so am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. You'll notice he writes, so am I, three times. He's responding to their boast, and they obviously claim these credentials, and he is saying, I'm equal in these credentials. It could be that they had discredited him because he was born from Tarsus. And because he was from Tarsus, which was a Gentile city, they didn't feel like he had the credentials to be an apostle. It could be. That's why they're making a point of of saying that they're Hebrews, that they're Israelites, that they're descendants of Abraham. But Paul responds to them. He says, are they Hebrews? In his letters to the Philippians, he writes that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's not only a Jewish man, but he spoke the language of the Jews. He lived according to the Hebrew or Jewish culture. And we know from the book of Acts that he was actually born in Tarsus, but brought up in the city of Jerusalem. And he was trained at the feet of Gamil, the great Jewish rabbi. So he is a Hebrew. He's saying, are they Hebrews? So am I. The language and the culture of the Hebrew people is Paul's. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Jews that were raised outside of a Jewish city, outside of the Hebrew culture, were Hellenistic Jews. They followed the modern culture. And while they may or may not be able to speak Hebrew, it wasn't their principal language. The language of their culture was their principal language. And they indulged in all of the cultural activities of the, of the Gentiles, of the pagans. If we were divided up today, we would divide between the Orthodox and the secular Jew. What they're saying, or what they might have been accusing Paul of being, is a secular Jew, who would, which would not qualify him to be an apostle. He says, are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Now, an Israelite belongs to the people of God, possesses the privileges and the statuses of the people of God, To whom also belong the adoptions as sons, the glory of the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, the promises, and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh, who is over all. It's all in Romans 9, starting about verse 3, if you want to go back and look at that. So Paul writes Are they Israelites, members of God's people? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. A descendant of Abraham is simply an heir to the Abrahamic promises concerning the Messiah, promises concerning the ultimate Gentile blessing, and promises concerning the land given to the nation of Israel. Are they descendants or seed of Abraham? He says, so am I. In Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 and 5, he, he says basically the same thing. He says, Though I myself might have some grounds for confidence in the flesh, if I were pursuing salvation by works, if anyone else thinks that he has reason to be confident in the flesh, that is, in his own efforts to achieve salvation, I have far more circumcised when I was eight days old of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Of a Hebrew of Hebrews, an exemplary Hebrew, as to the observance of the law, a Pharisee. Now, Paul is equal to them in every boast. But let's look at verse 23, where a shift takes place. Verse 23, are they self-proclaimed servants of Christ? I am speaking as if I were out of my mind. I am more so, for I exceed them with far more labors, with far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, and often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews thirty-nine lashes. Now Paul's being blunt here. He writes basically what he's saying. You know, for me to even consider them as servants of Christ is absolutely insane. But I'm going to say it anyway. I would be insane. In fact, I am speaking like a lunatic to make such a comparison. That's basically the Greek word that is used there. Amplified takes it apart correctly. It literally means to be beside oneself or out of their mind. Literally, not home. Now, notice Paul begins to reveal his supremacy as, a, as an apostle. What Paul actually considers the evidence of being an apostle of Christ is suffering, and resurrection life. So we're going to shift from boasting in the strength and the standing of the flesh to the pure devotion and strength of Christ's life clothed in weak flesh. He begins to list his credentials. He speaks of far more labors. The Greek word there for labor actually means to work to the point of total exhaustion. It's not just daily toiling It's an exhausting, depleting labor, something that probably only a slave or zealot might do. Colossians 1 verse 29, Paul writes, For this I labor, often to the point of exhaustion, striving with his power and energy, which so greatly works within me. Paul knows where his life is based. This is why he thinks boasting according to the flesh is so foolish. He knows what the strength of it is. It's like boasting in a glove. The glove has no strength of its own. Why should we boast in the glove? Let us boast in the truth. Now, I'm not one of those people that believe that we're just an instrument that God uses. Does that sound like something I'm heretical? Let me tell you something. God put himself in union with his children, not with an instrument. And we are expressions of his life made in his likeness to literally act and move and breathe and have our being in him. That's who we are. Paul says, I labor to the point of exhaustion. But guys, don't be distracted by the weakness and the frailty of my flesh. It is he, Christ, within me. That is my strength. Every one of us who is here tonight recognizes the weakness of our flesh. We may cover it up with clothing. We may cover it up with, with all kinds of fitness and vitamins and all kinds of things. But the bottom line is you are covered in frail, weak, clay, vessels, and in that is contained the power, the glory, the magnificence of God's creation, the new creation. And that is who you are. He writes that he had experienced far more imprisonments. Now, there's one in the book of Acts, and it's prophesied in Acts 20 that he's going to go be put in chains and in prison when he gets to Jerusalem. But there were far more than that. Most have referred to in the book are prophesied about. Now, we don't know how many imprisonments there actually were. Clement, in his writing in A.D. 96, says that Paul was in prison seven times. And I will tell you something. If you've ever seen pictures of what those medieval or biblical time uh, dungeons and prisons were like, you would be amazed he survived the first one. Because they were basically holes in the ground. He survived it seven times. Now what I want you to see here, what literally excites me, is don't get so distracted by the frailty of Paul's flesh. Look at the miraculous work of God to sustain this man, to hold him up. The power of God that endured all of these things. And propped that frail flesh up. And picked it up off the ground after being stoned. And moved it forward into the will and plan of God. Never to be laid down until God was ready for him to lay it down. And nobody could change that. Not the Roman army, not the Jewish leaders, not bandits, not ships, not beatings, not rods, not anything that came against him would ever separate him from the life's love that carried him. That's exciting. Because how many of us, and I myself included, how many of us get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, I don't know how in the world i am going to make it through the day? Well, it's time to be clothed in faith. You'll make it through the day because of what God created you to be and live from the truth of what God created you to be. It's not this. Seven times. He writes that he's endured far more beatings than he could recall. (laughs) They're without number. The 24th verse, he says, Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now, these were mandated by Jewish courts and synagogues. And as Paul was a Jew, he would be brought before their courts, for preaching normally, brought before their courts, and he would be sentenced, according to Deuteronomy chapter 25, that stated he should be beaten, or the offender, not necessarily Paul, but the offender should be beaten or lashed 40 times, okay? Now, that meant that he would receive 39 lashes, You say, well, what, Did you get a senior's discount? How come he got 39? Well, the reason is it was 39 lashes is because there was a penalty. If you beat a prisoner more than 40 lashes, you would literally be exiled from the Jewish court. So in order to make sure they didn't screw up like I would in the counting, particularly if I didn't like the person, they said only 39, right? He did this. He went through this five times. So they would always stop short of 40 in order to leave room for miscount. And flogging was done with a whip that had three six-inch long leather prongs. So that when they struck a man once, they were really striking him three times. These were heavy leather prongs, okay? And the person who did the striking was the master or sergeant however you want to call it, whatever title they gave him, of the temple. This is how this man made his living. It was his craft and trade. Because in Deuteronomy, it tells him to strike with all his strength, but only one hand, one hand. So this man had a regular fitness program of learning to strike with everything within him. He would bring that whip down in such a way that it would literally rip the flesh off of you people actually died short of 39 lives. Paul went through this five times. Flogging was done with this kind of... They pull. What they would do is they would tie his hands to a stone or wood post and then first lying him on his stomach, they would beat him about half or a third and then they would turn him over and beat him some more. And when they beat him, they would do it with one hand, as I said, as hard as they could. And this would rip the flesh from them. Now... Paul had to be a mass of scars. And how in the world does the human body survive five of those? What's more, how do you survive five of those and invite yourself back to the table over and over again? How do you go to the next city and bypass... The way of escape would go directly into the temple and begin to proclaim the truth of God in the face of the very people who just left you ripped and bleeding in the last city. How? Well, that's not flesh. Flesh could not hold up. Flesh could not withstand. Flesh would run. There was a strength in Paul that was supernatural. It was the Spirit of God. You see, say you're an apostle and get beaten. That's not much of a novelty. But to say you're an apostle and get beaten and then say you're an apostle and get beaten and then get up and say you're an apostle and get beaten and then get up and say you're an apostle and get beaten and then get up and say you're an apostle and get beaten, that is miraculous because you've got to be living for something other than the comfort of that body, the survival of that body. Verse 25 through 27, he makes a litany a long list of things. He says... Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent adrift on the sea. Many times on journeys exposed to dangers from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my own countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles. Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger on the sea, danger among those posing as believers, in labor and hardship, often unable to sleep, in hunger and thirst, often driven to fasting for lack of food, in cold and exposure without adequate clothing. That's my invitation to you to become a Christian. We'll start the invitation now. All of you would like to come forward. Well, don't you want to sign up? You excited about it? Sounds like a bold career move. Do You see, time and time again, what you see here is man literally seeking to inflict death upon the body and resurrection life supersedes the intention of man. What was thought to be dead or should be dead was resurrected again and again. He was whipped and beaten and cast out of the city. He went out of the city to the next city and in resurrection life proclaimed the gospel once again. For the man that was beaten was not beaten. Just his body was. And the message that was thought to be stopped was not stopped. Because it was not carried by frail flesh. And the testimony of the truth and strength of our God was not diminished because it was bigger than what frail flesh could endure. Resurrection Life over and over again.
0: Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation To His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.